guys. Super excited today. We've got Steven Siegel and Jason Katzenstein here with us in the studio today. So stay tuned. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Hey, Internet! Welcome to Book Circle Online. I'm Joelle Monique, and I'm really, really excited. As I said before, Steven Siegel, Jason Katzenstein with us. If you guys don't know their names, you are very familiar with their work. Uh, Steven is part of... Uh, uh, man of action, excuse yeah, me. Yeah. Uh, does, does amazing, amazing things if you're into Ben 10. Um, Big Hero 6 is obviously your guys' latest, biggest project. It's so awesome. Um, and Jason, you've written for uh, Ben 10. You do all of the drawings for uh, The New Yorker. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. happy to be here. Thank you. And we're actually here to talk about your new book, Yay. Camp Midnight. So I'm really excited to share with you guys. I just read it this past weekend, and it is super, super fun. Uh, kind of in the vein of like Lumberjeans, if that's your jive. I'm really into Lumberjeans. Camp, monsters, bonding, learning about yourself, uh, all of those cool things. So, yeah, exciting. Um, can you guys tell us a little bit about uh, how you first got into comics? Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> I hated them. That's how I got into comics. My best what? friend, Eric, when I was in junior high school, I had to walk with him every weekend to Safeway to get his uh, new Spider-Man or Fantastic <laughs> Four comic. And I, I was just like, I can't believe we have to go down there and get comics again. And I just for years, this went on. And so <laughs> I, like I started that you kept to, going. I know, right? He's my friend. best friend. You got to support. So uh, I decided I would start buying the books he didn't buy. So I bought the X-Men and Marvel Premiere, which are the only two he didn't buy. So then those were my books. And so he would blah, blah, blah about Spider-Man. I'd be like, well, in Marvel Premiere, well, in Uncanny X-Men. And then years later, I wound up writing Uncanny X-Men. So that was uh, strange to go from not liking it to doing it. Just full circle. Yeah. I love I it. I fell in love. How about you? How would you get into comics? Uh, through drawing. My my grandmother used to sit me on her knee and, and draw. And, and I read a lot of Spider-Man, like 60s Marvel Spider-Man when I was little. Classics. And, yeah. Actually, I remember um, I got my caricature done one time. There was a layover in the Chicago airport, and somebody drew my mom's portrait in my portrait, um, and it was like magic. And so everything that I could look at that was a drawing and comics fell into that category. And I was I was really into reading too, and so the marriage is really nice. I felt that same way. I didn't get into reading comics until college because we didn't have a comic book store. We had like an old lesbian couple and like small bookstore, and so that's where I would get all like my historical fiction when I was like <laughs> a little kid. And then in college, my friend was like, oh, but you're in love with Batman. You have to read the comics. And I was like, are comics even a thing anymore? And she's like, the whole thing. And I just like images and words. This is amazing. Um, comics are great. I really enjoy them. Um, do you guys have like a favorite series? I know you said Uncanny X-Men was kind of something you didn't like and then you got into. Did you have a favorite series coming up or maybe later in life where you're like, this is like the mecca of, of series? Yeah, I mean, I stayed I stayed on the periphery once I got interested in comics. Then I was reading the things people weren't, just like people do with bands where they're like, oh, I like that band before they got famous and now they've sold out. I was kind of that guy with comics. So I read a lot of the small press black and white books that nobody had heard of. And a lot of them, like 8-Ball, I was into when nobody else was the Dan Klaus book. And then he became Dan Klaus and everybody knew 8-Ball and... Ghost World came out of that, but I was I was an old timer. I was there when it started, and <laughs> you know, so I loved those kind of books. And then over time, I, I had a brief uh, affair with Frank Miller's Daredevil when I was you know in my twenties, uh, and that was pretty good. And uh, I think lately, what I like are books that are just of singular vision. 
I just like things mm. that I look at and I go, I know exactly who did that book because nobody else would have done that book. Yeah. Uh, just things that just have their own imprint. So I really got into Now Brown, which was Glenn Dillon's book of a couple of years ago. And I was promoting that to everybody who would listen. And then I was watching Star Wars and it was like costumes by Glenn Dillon. And I'm like, is that the same Glenn <laughs> Dillon? And I called him. I'm like, did you do the costumes for Star Wars? He's like, uh-huh. I'm like, I thought you were just a comic book just guy. casual. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, something else on my resume. Yeah, yeah. so I like, I like anything, you know, that's on the periphery. Yes. Uh, Favorite series? You're going to laugh at my answer. Uh, go ahead. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man yes. was, was like very formative for me. You're going to laugh because I'm young. You are so young. <laughs> um, Mad Magazine. Uh, yeah, totally. read every issue of Mad Magazine. I love the art. I still think it, it, it's got incredible art. From all eras or from specifically the time when you started collecting? Um... From all eras, I, I, I got like all the reprints. The first issue of Mad I read was like a Mad XL, which was, and it was a reprint, uh, and Mort Drucker was the artist of the issue. And I was like, this, this is incredible. And he was an intern at Mad Magazine. I was an intern. Oh, wow. You guys are just reading and then doing. I really, <laughs> that is inspiring for, for us little guys on the internet <laughs> making small things of like, maybe one day. That's so awesome. Uh, I have not, my roommate was really, really into Matt, and he was like, you have to read, you have to read, and I was like, I don't even know if this is going to be my thing, and then what I like about Matt is it kind of broad enough that it can be for everybody, but it's still so specific to their house of, like, kind of big-headed, sometimes gory, definitely political kind of stuff, which yeah. is a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Well, the reason I hated comics was because my parents tried to get me to read them when I was a kid, and I was like, I don't want anything you want to give me. <laughs> But my brother would buy Mad Magazine, and so he would read it to me. He wouldn't let me touch it, because I might mess it up, but he would read it out loud to me. So I got, like, live-action Mad Magazine when I was a kid, and I kind of liked the cartooning, especially Don Martin. Mad was definitely confiscated from me when I was a little kid. There was one, I don't even remember what it was about. It was a Britney Spears article, though. <laughs> And I had it at the dinner table, which was a foolish decision. Right, My right. parents saw it. Yeah. And they were like, what is the... No, no. None of that, please. Yeah, uh, but then they, they did a you know complete 360, and they really encouraged my Mad Magazine fandom. At least he's reading. Like, at least right? he's engaged in something. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, when did you guys first start to create comics and whether that's like you know on the preschool lot just doodling or or when you sat down professionally you're like i'm gonna make a comic i drew uh pokemon for everybody in my class yes so yeah, many stories start out like this was like artists in our generation of like oh no pokemon and then uh yeah i got older and i drew um caricatures of all my friends uh but we were like 12 and it was it was a really fragile time for people to kind of <laughs> see, see these portraits. Here's what you look like. Yeah, in retrospect, I, I feel kind of bad about that. Oh, that's how you got to get started, though, like observing and, and doing the doodles. Yeah, I just I, I wasn't I wasn't good enough, so they weren't flattering. <laughs> Maybe you were too good. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Uh, so my my friend who loved comics when I hated them. Uh, after me saying for me, I, when I started buying them I would just say oh, this comic's so dumb I could have written this myself I could have written this myself and literally one day he just said then shut up and write them yourself and I thought I'll show you so I started sending in proposals for things uh, to Marvel and to DC and one of the very first proposals I sent in was accepted uh, for a small press company called Renegade Press that was started from uh, the ex-wife of the guy who did Cerebus Dave Sim had her company called Renegade Press and she had a hole in her publishing schedule 
and needed to fill it quickly and was like, if you can get this book done in the next 40 days, the first issue, I'll publish the series. And I said, of course I can. And I had never written anything. <laughs> uh, I didn't really have an artist. It was kind of a nightmare scenario. Oh, so not just the script, but the entire page lettered everything? In yeah, and this was this Holy kind cow. of company. We had to do the production of the book, the typesetting back before there were computers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not to say I'm that old, but I'm that old. And uh, so I got a crash course. This is when I was, I think, a junior or a sophomore in college. I, it took a lot of years, so it could have been either. Uh, and just from my dorm room, we got this book done with an artist I found on campus uh, and did it. We had to do it every 30 days, 40 days for the first issue, and every 30 days after that. Wow. And we made it in my dorm room, and it came out six months in a row and then got nominated for an Eisner Award. What? And I was like, what? Wow, what a story. Yeah, it's crazy. First comic. What was the name of it? It's called Kafka, and I it's impressed now through Image still to this day. So own the things you create, and you can keep them going. Hell yeah, that's amazing. We lost that Eisner to Watchmen, though. I mean... You know... I voted for Watchmen. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, uh, we kind of covered that. First comics. Blah, blah, blah. Um, can you guys tell us about your latest work, Camp Midnight? It's a little, yes. Little on it. Absolutely. Uh, it's my it's my first book. It's my first comic. Exciting. I'm That's very excited. Well, you did So, Jason, okay, maybe we should give you our little origin story first. Oh, God, uh, yes, and please. And we'll lead into that. So, I have a writer's group that meets every week at this Korean spa in Los Angeles, and we just work all day. Like, we get there, and you literally, we sit and work all day. It's not like a writer's group where you read stuff and go, good job. It's literally just <laughs> click, click, click. Uh, and one day, a mutual friend of ours, Daryl Sabara, who's a voice actor and a performer and a writer in his own right, brought Jason to the group. And Jason's sitting there with his little pad drawing all day. I'm like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I draw comics. I was like, oh, brother, one of those. Uh, and then I kind of watched him draw and saw what he was doing. I was like, hmm, this guy's actually pretty good. So we started working on a project. I was like, we should do a project. And that was Camp Midnight, which I thought of about 10 years before, but never run into the right person to do it. Uh, and immediate, immediately when I saw his art, I thought Jason is the person to make this happen. What and, about his art made you think that that was going to be the best partnership? Well, so the the thing is that he had done a project for your senior thesis or something. Yeah. Where'd you go to college? Wesleyan. Wesleyan. And he was showing me that. And it, it was more mature and kind of a little more formal. But the way that he was drawing, like he uses this tablet. And I, you know, I'm, I'm much older. I hate keeping, having to keep going back to that, but it's true. So I'm used to people with pens and pencils, and he has a stylus on this thing, and he would just do these swipes to get a line and erase it, swipe and erase it, swipe, and he would go, oh, that's the line. But the line looked like a line, you know, it looked like good old-fashioned comics comics. Yeah. Uh, and so there's just something in the life of that that I thought, well, this would be great for something for a younger audience. And I have done a lot of kids, you know, TV shows and stuff that, that my kid audiences love, but my comics are always kind of rated R and <laughs> the kind of thing my mom goes, why would you write that? Uh, <laughs> And so I always just wanted to do a book for my fans that are not of age to read the stuff that I like to do usually. And I just saw so much vibrancy in what Jason was doing that I thought, hey, this is the thing that we should do. And so we started working on it once a week. We would meet and I'd write seven pages. He'd go off for the week, draw them. We'd meet again the next week, look at them. And we just got this momentum going. That's awesome. I um, have to confess something now because it's it's a full circle sort of thing, <laughs> which is um, you, to you said that they said can you write this comic? Can you do, you said, can you pencil ink color and letter? And I just said, uh, yes. <laughs> I'd not ever, 
I, I'd never call her to comic. I'd never let her to comic. <laughs> Which is funny because the moment that I decided you should do this comic was when another guy at the group who was doing a comic was asking about color problems. And I said, ask Jason. He's the artist. And he literally, just in two seconds, laid out this figure and showed him three different ways to color it, says the guy who says I'd never colored anything. So I'm let dubious. Let that be a lesson to you kids. Like, just do it. Just say yes, figure it out later. <laughs> I love it. I was my, my dad told me that, actually. Yeah? Yeah, he said... Um, if you want to do a job, but you maybe need to do some learning on the job, just say that you know how to do it because then you have no choice. That's really good advice. Thanks, Dad. That's amazing. Maybe not for the CIA. Sure, yeah. yeah. I can think I of mean, Maybe not neuroscience. Like, brain surgery is not a good... So, most, stick to the arts. Stick yeah. to the arts. Just do it. Everything else, maybe get some learning first. Get a mentor. Who really knows how to color? <laughs> I agree. Yeah, that's a fair question. Oh, no, children are just wild with abandon with it. They're like, yeah, we got this. And I always feel like, you know, as adults, we're like, there's a proper way to do this, probably. Well, Steve and I also talked about we wanted Camp Midnight to look like no comic book we'd ever seen. It achieves that. Oh, thanks. No, totally. I've never. And it's like a lot of times in my sentences said it's like it's this like really grandiose, like kind of unattainable thing. This is really easy to access as mm-hmm. far as visually. And yet you guys have so many. I guess like Easter egg jokes in there for <laughs> specifically for comics fans that I really enjoyed um, that I've definitely never seen anywhere. The reference to uh, uh, I can't remember the artist, but the hands, Kirby hands, <laughs> yeah, Kirby hand and the bolt out muscle and the really bumpy fingers. I was like, this is perfection. Well, it was so nice that that we both love comics and have read a lot of comics because then while we were working on it, I could say Jack Kirby jump, you know, and he knows what that means, so I don't have to delineate any further and it would be better than whatever I had in mind anyway and also I started writing the stage directions into the panels sometimes like in the beginning Steve Steve would make a note and I would literally write that in so I don't know if Kirby Hand was one of those (laughs) (laughs) I was really curious as to how that collaboration happened if it was scripted like to add those in but you're saying you added those in mostly in art uh, well, I, I think that, well, you were really specific about a lot of it, but sometimes you were good at, like, letting me run free. Well, the nice thing was, because, again, we were meeting every week to go over what we did the week before, which that's not an opportunity to usually get in comics. Yeah. And so it was great. Like, he would do something, and I'd be like, oh, we're going to keep doing that through the rest of the book and go back and put some more of that in the front of the book, too. So, and we also had a very long time to work on it, because it's 240 pages. So, Jason, bless him, I would be like, you know, now that we're on page 180... <laughs> I have this idea that will affect all the previous pages and go change them all. And he'd be like, okay. I redrew a lot of faces. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Or, you know, at least extra practice, getting those 10,000 hours in to right. perfection. I could respect it. Um, what was the inspiration for three? So you said you had this in your mind for about 10 years, and then you mm-hmm. kind of just dove right in. I guess individually, what was your inspiration for the comics? Uh, my inspiration was the Miyazaki movie Spirited Away, yes. which I, I, that was the first Miyazaki movie I had seen somehow. And I saw it in the theaters and I was immediately blown away. I was like, what would I do if Miyazaki called me tomorrow and said, let's work on something, which didn't happen. <laughs> Strange. Uh, Why but not? the thing I thought of was Camp Midnight and I just wrote some notes to myself and I, I liked it immediately. I like, I knew I wanted to do it, but just, I didn't have the opportunity. I was too busy. And, uh, and I think projects kind of present themselves when it's the right time. And so when I saw Jason's art, it came right back into my head. And I thought, well, this this is the person and that's the thing. And I don't know if we talked about anything else. I think I was kind of right on that quickly, hoping you'd just say yes. Uh, but yeah, uh, and that's he did. And so that was that was good. And, you know, I think the 
I always like a female protagonist. I think there's enough male figures in comics and TV and movies in general. And so the nice thing about working for Image Comics is I can just do whatever I want instead of getting somebody's approval. Like, it's very hard to do a girl-led animated show because merchandising and do girls buy toys? And of course they do, but... I mean, the whole Twitter argument over, like, where's Black Widow? I don't understand why it's the question for people. Like, but will they... This is a whole, yeah. like, trending hashtag for weeks. But since it's for Image, I was like, well, of course we can do a girl lead thing. And uh, and I love, I only went to camp once for a week, and I was not cut out for camp, and I felt <laughs> like a terrible outsider. But I love the idea of camp friendships and kind of that you bond quickly, but then when, you, when the summer's over, you separate, and that's the end of that. And just the metaphor of those kind of passing friendships seemed like a real solid thing to build a, a story around. I went to art camp. <laughs> <laughs> to art camp? Yeah. Well, actually, no. I went to I went to um, a summer camp that was a little more hardcore, like canoe trips, and mm-hmm. I was the one drawing in the corner. So I think after that, my parents were like, "Art camp? You can go to art camp." <laughs> I'm glad that your parents saw. My parents were like, "No, just keep going." And I'm <laughs> like, "I just want to make things." <laughs> the um, but at art camp, um, the thing that that really like. The thing that resonated for me about Camp Midnight was that this is the camp where all these monster kids get to be their true selves. Um, and when I went to art camp, it was like, wait, you're all shy and you're and you're artists, um, mm-hmm. and we can like celebrate this together. This is a space where it's cool that I read comic books. And so, um, I was I was definitely thinking about the CalArts summer program that I did. That's cool, and it kind of shows in the design uh, with the, like the different cliques of like monsters and stuff with the witches, and everyone's kind of got a very distinct style to them, and you can kind of see how everybody then blends, especially uh, at the campfire like storytelling portion of it. I thought that was really cool. That's awesome. Um, uh, I love the play on typical like. Uh, camp creature feature yeah. stuff. Does that, uh, how do I want to ask this question? Did, were B-movies kind of like an inspiration for you? And well, if so, like I, which ones My maybe? camp experience is limited. I mean, I w- grew up in Colorado uh, and they made you go to camp for a week during the school year oh. uh, up in the mountains to get some fresh air and get out of the city. <laughs> and, and I was not cut out for fresh air or outdoorsiness <laughs> or, you know, I, I was terrified of bunk beds and mess halls and all of it was a little... A little much for me at the time. Uh, now I would love to go, but it would be really weird if I went to camp now. They've got adult summer camps now. <laughs> hey. I'm ah! not even joking. Like, with big and things, do it. Uh, <laughs> comic book camps? You know, I don't know, but I'm sure you could find your your click there. It's a whole, it's a lot of, like, hippie, divvy kind of people. All right, we're going on the internet when this is over and looking that up. But, yes. Uh, <laughs> so I think, I think a lot of my knowledge of camp is from movies like Meatballs and Slasher movies where all the kids in camp get chopped up. And so it's no surprise to me that Camp Midnight popped out of my brain. Meatballs. Right? <laughs> with the, with the you alien? mean the movie or just Meatballs because you're starving? No, no, no. The movie. Okay, good. <laughs> like the, yeah, the yeah, alien yeah. named Meathead, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about Meatballs. Wet Hot American Summer. Um, Actually, the like B-horror movies were a visual inspiration. The posters for them. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't even put that together. Was there a specific poster or artist who made the posters that kind of inspired you? Oh, man. I, I wish I actually had specific examples. I would often just Google, like, B-horror. Sleep away camp. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. sometimes, like, the, the, the 
oh man, the other version of campy here, like the campier the movie, yeah, um, yeah. And, and or the like the lower budget, the more um, endearing the posters were to me. <laughs> oh, so yeah. it was important to find things that I'd never heard of. I don't want to give away any of the story, but the final page really resonates that with the moon high and then all the buses and like her walking. Like that is a very poster feel. Now that you mention it. That's really cool. I I really like B-horror, and I was, like, kind of reminiscent of uh, Swamp Thing throughout mm-hmm. the whole mm-hmm. time, like, the classic the trees, 30s version. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, all the wooded stuff, so that's really cool. But I also think another poster thing that I saw uh, Jason making use of was kind of punk posters, too, like the page where Ooh. she's got her mouth ah, just wide open Yeah, is one of my favorite images in the book. And Jason's in a band. He's been in a couple of bands, but he's in one right now, too. And I was just like, let's get some of that kind of sensibility of those kind of 80s cheapo posters put up. The book looks really simple in its execution, but it's actually because he's so well accomplished that he's able to pull off that look. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was going to ask you guys a little bit about page layouts. Uh, Because I can't even imagine writing the page layout because I was trying to word it to see if I could describe it and I was like nope can't do it there's a lot happening on these pages was that mostly coming out through discussion did you do you have like a better way of writing it out or was that well I tricked him I was like we can either do a 120 page regular comic book or if we cut those pages in half and turn them sideways it would be a 240 page book that would be twice as thick but no more work so he was like well let's do that so then I just turned it all sideways and still wrote like pages for 120 page books so basically you did a 480 page book oh (laughs) <laughs> that's why this feels this way <laughs> how about those layouts um so steve would send along script pages in chunks of like 60 and it would have stage directions and tentative dialogue and sometimes it would be like a really tightly plotted um beat by beat script page and it would say this panel would have this in it and they'll say this and sometimes steve would say something like make it scary or he'd be like <laughs> This werewolf is Harry, not <laughs> Katzenstein Harry, but Harry. Um, or he'd say, you know that circle panel that you drew twenty pages ago? Put another circle panel in there. So I did appreciate all the asides in the script. Like I really like this kind of like, um, like almost like letters to your artist, like as you're a going. A script is a, that's perfect because a script is a letter to an artist. That's really exactly like what it that. is. Your your script. You only write a script for an artist. Sometimes for an editor, but really not. It's a letter to the artist, and I don't, I don't ever like to work with uh, a script where I don't know who's drawing it because I don't write the same scripts for the for different artists. Really, different people need different things to to kind of work, and I like to push people too. So I always like to go, "What are you comfortable with?" And I'll make sure that's there, and then I go, "And here's what you're not comfortable with," and add a little <laughs> bit of that too. Uh, but it should be tailored to the person you're working with because that's the only person you're writing it for. So how did you tailor it for Jason then? With mostly jokes, it sounds like, maybe? Uh, well, again, because I got to see him. He moved to Brooklyn halfway through the book, I guess, because you were put off by me. <laughs> but for the first part, because I got to see him weekly, uh, it was easy to kind of... We talked a lot more than I needed to write, basically. Because we, we would sit and just look through designs and look through... Like the coloring, we would just sit and read... He, well, we, you, would recolor pages. And I'd be like, eh, try it in purple. And <laughs> then he'd have to do it in purple. So we actually were able to get a lot of that process just verbally, which was lovely because it's a very hermit-like lifestyle most of the time. So, yeah. That's true. I drew it in my apartment in Brooklyn, so I worked from home. That's awesome. Did you, what is your studio, I'm like fascinated with studio spaces because each artist is like 
really particular. Uh, I met an artist who just works at his kitchen table. Mm. He's like, clears it off. He's like, this is all the space that I need. I do a quick, like, hour, and then I'm out. I met, you know, people who rent out whole spaces. You're doing it in your studio. Do you have, like, a specific space? You work on the floor? Um, I have a desk. Um, it's like a bookshelf desk kind of combo thing. Nice. And I put my laptop there because I do draw on, a like, a computer pad that plugs into the laptop. Um, and I have all my books around me, which is important because when I need to look at, like, uh, Noel Stevenson or uh, an old New Yorker cartoon or Tales from the Crypt, I can just pull things out. So you like to work with your references all around. Oh, right? yeah, absolutely. And nice. when I need to listen to really loud music, I can do that, too. <laughs> and when I need to, like, go take a lap around the park, I live right next to a park, so I can go outside and walk around. That's awesome. What kind of music do you like to listen to when you're working? Um, so the album that I listened to the most when I was completing the book was... Um, Todd Terrier's album, which is this electro pop. It's ridiculous. Some of it is like lounge music. There's one really emotional song with, um, um, it's called Johnny and Mary and, and it'll melt your heart. Um, and a lot of pop punk. I actually had the opportunity for, for Paste Magazine to make a playlist to go along with reading Camp Midnight. What? Yeah. You're going to have to tell us where we can find that. We'll send it out to the viewers so oh, they can pick up the book. They can... That's really awesome. Um, do you guys have a favorite monster that kind of shows up in the book, whether it's a favorite one to draw or a favorite one to write for, or even just like, we have to have this monster in the book? Well, my favorite one, uh, so I, I have to say one thing about the process of this book, which is I usually, I always start at the end of something and work backwards. That's how I like to write. But for this book, I also like to challenge myself. So I said, I'm going to do something I never do, which is I'm going to start on page one. I'm going to end on page 240. I'm not going to plotted or skeleton it or any i didn't even reread my notes i was just like i remember this story i'm gonna make it happen holy cow sequentially and and i did i called you at like <laughs> at page 200 i was like oh we're in so much trouble but it actually kind of worked it was it was fine but uh on the challenging front of things we had had all these monsters and i i knew this kind of scene was coming but i didn't understand how it would be executed but there's a scene where sky is in the forest and she's looking for a friend mia and uh can't find her and a monster shows up uh, that no one has seen before. And I I just wrote, it was one of those moments where I'm like, okay, Jason, look, it's got to be the scariest, biggest, weirdest, strangest. Doesn't look like anything else we've seen and you've already drawn every monster there is. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, and the thing he drew is so strange and the coloring is so cool that it really is a jarring moment. And that yeah, was the my, first time I don't even get... know what kind of monster it is. So. Yeah, you definitely can't pin it down. Yeah. I was looking at it for a long time trying to figure out what the basis of it might be. And it definitely looks like a hybrid of maybe two or three different kind of monsters. And then the color is yeah. completely different from anything else you've seen up yep. to that point in the book. So you're definitely like, this is bad. <laughs> like, you have to move. <laughs> I feel it out of there. Um, so whatever that really was, that was it. my favorite one in the book. That was a phone conversation. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. That was, Like, we were mostly communicating via email and getting the script pages. But Steve called me about that and was like, you need to make something really scary. And I said, okay, more, more information. <laughs> and he said... You're going to figure it out. And I said, okay, I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. You're like one of those classic Hollywood directors who's like, more. Well, and also, I have a visual brain, but I have a visual, logical visual brain. So I, I understand page layouts, and I understand when there's too much or too little or whatever. But he has a visual, visual brain. And so I, I'll spend a lot of time going, listen, here's the expression on this person's face, because I care a lot about the emotional stuff. But when it comes to making up a freaky monster, that's not my strength. I just know it needs to be a freaky monster. That's your strength, so do it. And you did. And you did really well. It's fun. Um, how about you? A favorite monster? Uh, well, they're all monsters, uh, so I guess it's <laughs> just a favorite person. character, right? <laughs> oh, yeah! 
oh man my children they're all my children <laughs> uh mia okay yeah, yeah mia's my favorite mia was cool because like i don't want to give anything away because there's a lot of like really kind of cool twists and turns in the book but uh you don't know what Mia is, and it takes a while to uncover that. And so in that process, there's a lot of, like, visual cues in getting her to that spot. And so well, I we, was We should say that the, the book is about Skye, who is the only human at a monster camp. Yes. And so at the stroke of midnight, when the counselor tells everybody to transform into their true selves, she can't because she is her true self. So she puts on a front that she's not willing to show people what kind of monster it is because she's a scary, scary monster. Because it turns out that the thing monsters are afraid of, one thing, is humans. So she doesn't want to out herself, basically. Uh, and so Mia, who is a monster at Monster Camp and was there last year, also doesn't want to transform. And so that's how they bond, is over their agreement that I'm not going to transform until you do and you don't have to show yourself till I do. Uh, and so that's that's kind of what drives them together. But then you kind of go, well, what exactly is Mia that she doesn't want to show? Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, whispers around camp about what she might be, and you know, stay away from her. She's really just creepy. like campers to talk yes. smack. <laughs> All of the gossip. Um, I really like Sky as a character. She's uh, really fun, and I like. I feel like a lot of uh, movies, TV, just representations of young girls at that age don't quite understand young girls you know mm. and sky is feisty and she masks her fear instead of just you know cowering she's like i'm gonna be super brave and then nobody will question it because you know i have represented myself in, in such a way that they don't have to um and then to see her have a friend that you know they're both kind of pushing each other back and forth which is is really rare Did, is sky based off of anybody or or kid you know uh, Sky's, Sky's a composite of a lot of people. I mean, I think my wife, uh, as a young girl, I didn't know. And so I was imagining, what would she be like at camp? And I think that she would be in charge of camp within about an hour. <laughs> but then every time she turned away from the people she was in charge of, I think she'd be going, I hope no one notices that I'm not really in charge. Uh, and so there's a lot of that energy to her. Uh, there were there were some literary kind of character references for me. I did a book called House of Secrets a long time ago. And for... Wait, I'm so sorry. How's it like? Oh, 2009. Yeah, dude, can I? That's like I picked up that in Air. Those were my first oh, comic cool. books that I ever purchased. Sweet. Period. End of story. Those were my favorite. I think yeah. I have the entire run of that. Well, if you don't, I'll hook you up. Dude, what? That's amazing. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I had no idea. It's oh. really, really excellent work. Well, so the character in that was was called Rain, and so they're not the same character. But I was like, I wonder what she was like as a girl. A little bit, and so Sky was a little bit like my my playing around with what that character might have been like. I totally see that. Uh, it's a little bit of that. Cool, awesome. Yeah, Sky is really great. Mia's a lot of fun, if not really. Sad. I just felt like Mia needed a hug. <laughs> <laughs> so hard. Well, she does. She's in a tough place. Yeah. I mean, what Jason did so well is that she's she's always up and she's so friendly and wants to be friends, but the camp is really cold to her, and so only Sky is kind of her friend. And when you find out why, I mean, I, I like books to be about something, even for kids. The same thing with the cartoons we do. Mm. You know, we, we never start with plot. We start with, what is an eight-year-old thinking about? And what are they worried about? And what are they hoping to achieve in their life, they think, as an eight-year-old? And so I just wanted to make sure that, that this book was about, you know, uh, for, for the kids reading it, something bigger. And so this idea of acceptance, which is, you know, I mean, look at the North Carolina bill going on, and we're still stuck on it as adults, and we should know better so I thought, well, we can talk about that with kids in a kind of kid way and how you accept people and why you accept people and why it's important that you accept people equally. And that's that's kind of what her story is. 
I thought it played really well with the art, too, as far as being, again, accessible to kids. Like, I can't... There's so many comics that are just so, like, this is our thing, and either you get it or you don't, and we're moving forward. And those have their place, and they can be really great. Yeah. But this was so, like, there's jokes for parents, there's jokes for comic book fans, there's jokes for kids. Uh, it's serious subject matter that doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, and it is really fun, and I really enjoyed the marriage of art and words to communicate that story to the kids, because... I feel like there's been a lot of conversation of, like, do kids comics sell? Are they even into comics? Like, I know some people are like, Lumberjanes is just, like, a bunch of, like, SJWs and stuff. And it's just like, <laughs> I I live in comic book stores. And little girls and little boys just lose their nuts for that. So it's so yeah. much fun. So I, I'm glad to see you guys doing it. And especially at Image. Image doesn't have a lot of children's book, if I'm not mistaken. I, I tried to go through their catalog That's stuff. True. Oh. But Image publishes what you bring them. Right. You know, it's it's not that Image is not doing kid stuff. It's that creators are not bringing Image kid stuff. I showed Eric this. I'm like, here's what we'd like to do. He's like, done. It wasn't even a, a question or a discussion. What a great company. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was a dream for me, too. Because <laughs> I I, I, I've read Image books, you know, since I was a little kid. Yeah. What was it like? Was it different working under that title? I mean, this is your first comic book, so you don't really have a lot of a frame of reference but here this is true that a lot of a lot of artists are really excited to go work for image because they're like yeah just finish your pages <laughs> yeah <laughs> get it was, them done they they um no complaints excellent that's so no, they, awesome. they did a lot of things i mean we finished this book last year it was supposed to come out for halloween and thank god for image they said you know what you're putting it out too soon because it's up to the creator when you solicit it mm -hmm. they said you haven't given the book market enough time to absorb it scholastic's interested you haven't given them time to even consider it you know, uh, you should delay it and let these people do what they do. And I was like, ah, sad. we're done, though. We're finished. <laughs> I want people to see uh, now. <laughs> and so I called Jason. I'm like, they want us to delay. What do you think? And he's like, is it a good idea? I'm like, I don't know. So we delayed. And it was a great idea. I mean, now we're the free comic book day comic for Image, which is great. We, you know, we've had a lot of good response from the book market, which is great. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a publisher that lets creators do what they do. And they take care of the publishing side, which we don't do. And mm -hmm. they're smarter than us on that. Hallelujah. That's so awesome. Uh, Image has so many titles that I know I personally support and have a lot of friends who support, and it's great to hear that. Behind the scenes, they're as awesome as you hope the people you're giving money to are. <laughs> there, there are very few people at the Image offices doing the work of a major, major-sized publisher. You know, they're putting out two-thirds as many books as Marvel or DC a month, and there's like 14 people up there. And they're all worth buying. Yeah. They're always like, oh, no, Image, you can't do this. My pocketbook can't handle the amount of greatness <laughs> that you're delivering to me. But we also live in a great time for books, which is that, A, they're, they're around forever because they're digital, and B, they're digital. So if you want to, you can get them at a lesser price because you don't have the physical object. You can take them with you on planes. You know, it's... I used to have a, a case when I would travel yeah. of heavy, heavy books. I still do, actually, because I like heavy books. I but. like the, the, the hard copies of yeah. them. But I do like that digital is available specifically for uh, older books that I are hard to find in print. Or just, yeah. like, I'm not going to collect the 100 issues of, you know, old Supermans or whatever. It's nice to have, just click on them digitally and be like, yep. here they are on my tablet, and I'm good to go. Um Without giving anything away, I keep saying that because, you know, you don't, you don't want to ruin the story before you there's get a twist. to read it. Yeah, there's lots of them. Um, there's a character in uh, the book who objects to being called a monster. And I'm wondering, do you guys have a POC term for a monster? Um, do we? <laughs> we do, well, I think what happens in the book is that, that 
Sky calls people monster a lot. She calls her stepmother her stepmonster. She gets to camp, and monster is a term that's being used. But then she says to uh, one of the boys there, she used the word monster. She's like, "Hey, we don't we don't use that word." Uh, and I think again, it's just it's just the conversation of it. There's a lot that goes on with charged words in our culture and ownership of those words and who can and can't say words. And I think again, kids need to be aware of the power of language. Language is it's never decided by somebody going, "You can't say that word. That doesn't work." It's negotiated. It's negotiated over time. It's negotiated through culture. So I just like the idea of saying to kids, you know, not everything you hear is cool with everybody you say it to. Yeah. And that's that's as far as we went with the idea. One thing I just realized actually too is that that monster is is um, a, a fine word to use when we talk about the book right now. Like right, when we right. refer to characters as monsters, but that within the world of the book, when a character who identifies as a monster says, "I don't want to be called," or identifies as he doesn't want to be called a monster. Um, that's the lesson for Sky, and I think that sometimes that's a hard thing to wrap your head around, but it's also really simple, which is when you don't know uh, the term that somebody wants to go by, when you don't know what pronoun um, you use with somebody, it's okay to ask them, and turns out people have an answer for that. And also, whatever people answer, that's that's what you do. Yeah, showing the, the one-to-one connection. Because I mm-hmm. think a lot of people think that these things are blanketed. Like, well, if you're a part of that community, and that community has decided, don't worry, but that's rarely true. Yeah. There's yeah. so many people who go by different terms. And um, so it's really great to show, like... And also, just to see, like, if you're a person who wants to be called something specific, how easy it is to just bring it up and it doesn't have to be a fight and it doesn't have to be something scary. You can just be like, hey, man, I don't... I would prefer you not use that word and... Here's what you could call me. Yeah, I mean, in the book, he's saying he's saying I'm I'm a wolf first. That's what I identify as. So that I prefer that. That's really awesome. Um, oh, we covered that already. Uh, <laughs> Psychic that. question asking, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. Uh, what drew you guys kind of to children's stories? I know you do uh, both, like really adult things and uh, in kind of a wide spectrum of things but what is it that keeps bringing back to children's stories well the on the animation side of things i i didn't know we were going to go that way so i have this company man of action which is myself and three other comic book creators joe casey joe kelly duncan rulo and we all were kind of doing film and tv stuff for adults and just a mutual friend of ours matt senreich of robot chicken who had interviewed most of us for wizard magazine when he used to work there just said you know cartoon network's doing uh, a superhero show, but they don't have anything. You guys should go pitch them something, and that's how we wound up doing Ben Ten, uh, creating that for Cartoon Network. And then once that was a big hit, everybody was like, "You guys do kid stuff," <laughs> and that's the way Hollywood works. And so we did kid stuff, and we've done a lot of kid stuff. We did Generator Rex for Cartoon Network. We did Ultimate Spider-Man and Marvel's Avengers Assemble and Bakugan and all kinds of just crazy stuff, which is fun. But it's you know it's something that I came to when I was forty, probably. Right. I, I had no intention of doing kid stuff. So for me, it's it's been challenging because kid stuff is harder, actually. It's harder to do something simple that kids will still get and not feel that they're being talked down to. So that's a challenge. It's hard. I did a couple of kids' picture books with Marco Cinello and another artist that I've worked with a lot. And I would just sit there and go, I need to say verisimilitude, and I can't use that word. <laughs> you know, it's, it's maddening that way. So I, I like to kind of put my toe into the kids' you know, realm of literature just because it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to do. And especially we're, I mean, really the golden age of a lot of things, but kids' cartoons right now, I mean, just huge pillars of achievements between, mm-hmm. like, um, Adventure Time, obviously, and then uh, um, 
what just went uh, pines another camp summer yeah, story yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, uh, yeah. Uh, so just all of these really great great shows and I think Ben 10 was kind of the first one other than maybe Rugrats to try to grow with its audience to mm-hmm. age Ben over time and I remember I mean I was in high school when the show came out but I, I've never stopped watching cartoons <laughs> <That's> <laughs> okay. I'm like obsessed with them um, and I remember being really impressed with the fact that like Ben could grow naturally and it wasn't like a lot of times you get these kids that are like 16 and they're behaving like adults, like right. like in college and doing stuff. And it, even we've seen it with the Spider-Man sometimes reenactions of like seeing kids actually in high school and what that's like and still being juvenile and trying to find themselves. And so I really like that. And we get touches of that in Camp Midnight of her trying to accept her step monster and her dad's new situation. I actually had a question about one of there's an image where she gets her cell phone back and she's able to call back home <laughs> and we slowly see her dad like on a chair talking to her and the step monster is like leaning over him and she like looms over really big on his side and then at one point he ends up on the ground <laughs> on all fours and she's using him as a footrest is this how she's seeing her dad in her head or is this meant to be more literal than that like he's so in love with her and kind of taken aback with her that he's like yeah he, I'll be your footrest I, th- I think that um we're pretty firmly rooted in Sky's point of view Copy. the whole time, so, so, so like we often get glimpses of the world the way that, <laughs> that sees she it. sees it, and I and I like um, that that's not separate from the story we're telling. So it's not like here's the real world and here's how Sky sees it. It's just one coherent world, and so crazy things happen in that world. But that's again, that's the joy of comics. Like that's a hundred percent Jason going. You know, it'd be funny is if he was the hassock uh, with her feet <laughs> up on him halfway through this phone call. And that's what I love, like, that's why you don't want to write everything for artists, because I wouldn't think of that metaphor. I thought that was brilliant when that came through, but I, I wouldn't think of it. So if I was so exacting, there wouldn't be room for that kind of stuff, and hallelujah, there was. It, it plays really well. It's just so funny. Yeah, that's great. Um, uh, do, 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 do. We have so, so many questions where I just skipped ahead, which is fine. Um, Blame us. Blame the guests. Who, uh, I mean, I guess we kind of talked about this, uh, but who are you guys kind of hoping to reach with the comic? As far as, like, is there an intended audience? Is it is it open for everybody? It's definitely open for everybody. I think when we started talking about what kind of book we were going to do, we just said all ages, which most people take as code for children's stuff. But I think all ages means all ages. So I think if you've been to camp or didn't feel like you fit in when you were younger, there's something here for you, whether you're 10 years old and feeling that way or 50 years old and feeling that way. Uh, I think that there's a lot about identity politics in there. And, you know, the, the energy of the book is so great. I think, again, I, I don't want to, I don't want you to get too full of yourself, but <laughs> what Jason accomplished with color and with line, it's just, it's so fast and frenetic that it, it moves quickly and you get through it quickly, but it's not a light book really. I think there are heavy, heavy themes in it, uh, but it's fun. And so if you like fun stuff with heavy themes, this is the book for you. And you do, because you're here at Book Circle Online. <laughs> you definitely like fun things with heavy themes. I think about um, Toy Story, like yeah. I, all the Toy Story movies, and I think about what age were those intended for. That's that's the sort of all ages world that I hope we... I respect, you know what, when everyone's like, you know, all ages for kids, I'm like, no, it's just like Toy Story from now on. That's the perfect descriptor, because... 
man, I'm not even going to lie. When that third movie came out and they're in the fire and they're all holding hands, I was in the back of the theater like, why is this happening? It's just so, Yeah, so I mean, I good. think the all ages promises, you're just saying, listen, uh, we're not going to cuss. We're not going to have anything that some people would find lewd or objectionable per se. Uh, but we're also not going to pussyfoot around and make it light. You know, I think kids, all the movies that I love, like all the Pixar movies, Big Hero 6, they'll kill people in those movies. You know, there's there's things that kids have to grapple with. That's why they last. That's why kids respond to them because you're not you're not hiding the world from them. Yeah, there's nothing worse than being talked to um, to as a kid because even though you're not, you feel like you're like I know things and I'm aware yeah. and I'm I'm present and I don't need to be handled with gentle care mm-hmm. gloves. I, I actually need to to throw a movie under the bus right now. <laughs> Go um, for it. It was Mary Kate Ashley's It Takes Two. Um, Sorry, classic. Mary Kate Nashley. If you're if you're watching right now, I'm I'm really sorry, but um, <laughs> their parents are divorced and they get back together um, at mm. the end of the movie. And my parents were divorced when I was a little kid, and I watched that movie. Um, and also the parent trap that happens too. Um, and I and I thought, oh, my parents belong together, and if I just set up a series of like. <laughs> Rube Goldberg like traps to all all of their their dates. Um, they'll realize that they actually belong together, um, which is which is not the way the world works, and it's not the lesson that I needed. But I, but it was like it was a condescending thing for these movies to do to kind of in service of like the easy story and the easy answer. Yeah. And one thing that I really appreciate about Steve's script for Camp Midnight is that it's a story with divorce in it that doesn't sugarcoat things that can be really difficult for a kid. None of the things, like talking to your mother about the new step monster, about trying to spend time with a parent that you love when they're attached to this person that you loathe. Um, I should probably interject that I love my stepmom. That's right. <laughs> I need to emphasize it. Like the every, every the chance book I is get. not the depiction yeah. of the actual step Nope. <laughs> oh, man. That's great. Um... What's up next for you guys? Or can we expect more comics from you? TV, movie, comics? What's happening? Well, from us collectively, uh, we're working on a new comic that we started yesterday. That's amazing! I'm really so excited. It's far too soon to talk about it. It'll be Tired. very different because we like to do different things. And, you know, it's it's not the sequel to Camp Midnight. That might be in our future, too. Who knows? We'll see how this one does. Uh, but we're, we're starting on something new that's uh, terrifying both of us in good ways. So that's that's going to be exciting. Cool. We have free comic book day that we'll be doing together, which by the time you see this, it'll probably well over, but that will have been exciting. Wasn't that exciting that day we did that? <laughs> We're live streaming now. Oh, so oh, they oh, are That's why I'm so nervous. We're live. <laughs> oh, it's live. Well, who knew? I'm glad I haven't cussed. Uh, then, uh, so where can they come see you guys for, for free comic book day on Saturday? Yes, I hope so. We're going to be at oh, Comics yeah. Factory in Pasadena, and then we're going to be at... Uh, Galaxy of Comics. Nice. There's actually like a... A little story about Galaxy of Comics, which is that um, Scott Brasina, who works at Galaxy of Comics, was my art teacher when I was, starting from when I was in the second grade. And so he taught me to draw comics. He showed me Jack Kirby. He taught me um, um, everything I, I, I know about comics. And... I love comic book family. That's so <laughs> awesome. So he works at Galaxy, and um, he invited me to come sign at the store. Aww. and. I wasn't even going to come out to L.A., actually, because I live in Brooklyn. But um, when he invited me out, how could I turn down signing at his store? Absolutely. And it's his birthday. Oh, Aww. well, then you had to come. There was just no question. And it's my first ever free comic book day because I run a theater festival every year that's the exact same day as free comic book day. And it's started the same year. 
So I've never been to a free comic book day. Oh my this goodness. year our theater festival was last week. And so just by random happenstance, I get to go. That's really cool. Yay. Guys, go go support your local comic book stores. Like, pick up your free comics, but like buy one or two things in the store. Like, they love you. If you haven't been, they're super open. I've been to maybe one comic book store where I got that old like 90s comic vibe of like, you don't belong <laughs> here. But for the most part, super open and, and really awesome. If you've never been, free comic book day is the perfect day to go for your first time. Um, and, and just pick up some free stuff and you can go to a bunch of comic book stores and collect and the them camp, all. Midnight free comic book is it's 28 pages I think but mm-hmm. it's we resequenced it so it's it's in the book but it kind of reads like it's own short story Ooh. and then we did the same thing with a different set of 28 pages that you can get for free on Image's website Image Comics and then we I think we Comixology. did Comicsology has Comixology. the free comic book day version for free on Comicsology. so there's no excuse so you can try a big chunk of our book for free lots of places check it out get out there go do the things um Tell us where we can find you guys on the interwebs. Uh, okay. Yeah. I tweet from at Jason Adam K. Um, and I have an Instagram. And uh, that one is J period, A period, K period, and then an <laughs> underscore. So. <laughs> Um, you can also just type in his name and find his Tumblr. Um, yeah. It's really awesome, full of New Yorker stuff. I checked that out this morning, and it's really fabulous. I had a lot of fun scrolling through there. Thank you. Yeah. Nice. I, you know, I'm so bad with my social media, but uh, Man of Action is the best place to find me. We have a website, we have a Facebook page. I think we have an Instagram, we have a Twitter, we have all that stuff. Just Man of Action. If you search it, it comes up quick. And then I also have a Twitter which I wrote a spy story on. I hated Twitter, so I was like, I'm going to write a spy story on Twitter instead of talking about myself. And I did that for a while and confused everybody. They're like, are you in Lisbon? I was like, no, no, that's that's, that's not me. So I quit doing that. uh, And just recently, Jason was like, you have to start your Twitter again. So I'm about to start my Twitter again, and it is... At Stephen T. Siegel. Right? I don't even remember. I love it. Keep doing stories on Twitter have become a thing. Like you were just ahead of your time. I People think weren't so. prepared. Uh, some a story just got like movie option righted out of their like ah. crazy crazy stories blown up. So so go fact. I like reading stories on or Twitter. Like, it's like one of my favorite things. Here, Jeet who writes Twitter essays and he numbers them one. Two, yeah, yeah 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 all of those. I I live on Twitter. I, I was just it. doing this thing called Citizen and it was about like a spy who reactivated after he had been put out in the cold and was gunning down all of the previous spy people he worked with. Have you read Mind Management? Uh, oh, Kent, I haven't, but I heard it's, yeah. Oh, my God. Because my first comic, Kafka, yeah. is kind of about that, too. So there's a lot of, we love, love I'm going to have stuff. to find your first comic. I'm obsessed with, I uh, just finished The Fade Out oh, uh, nice. by uh, Drew Baker. Yeah. yeah, so great, great comic stuff. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you, fans, for, for being here and checking Yay. us out. Um Go, go to Free Comic Book Day, get the comic, Camp Midnight. Uh, when does that drop? When is it coming out? It's already out. It, it, it's Came on the bookshelves now, so there's no excuse. It's super fun. If you have a youngin in your life who's maybe going through some growing pains, this is definitely the book for them. Uh, it's just I can't say enough good things about it. <laughs> Thank you, uh, guys. If you're following us on YouTube, like us there. Head over to iTunes. Give us five stars. Tell us why you like us. If you don't like us, keep it to yourself. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us here at Book Circle Online. We hope you guys have a great day. Thanks. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menounos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. 
And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.